Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Rayhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jack Snefflin. Thank you for joining us for the final of our Bracket on a Boat. Dry land is inside, everybody. This week, we will be discussing our two finalists, The Hunt for Red October from 1990, as well as The Life of Pi from 2012. Neither were expected to be on here. I think when talking about this with people, they were like, oh, so it's going to be Jaws and Titanic, right? And I mean, both of them are strong contenders, but these films had something a bit different going on, something compelling, even compelling on multiple rewatches. I think that also both of us are the kind of people who like things that are giving us something new. And for me, Life of Pi and Red October were new films, so that kind mm-hmm. of, they were fresher. Mm-hmm. But speaking about what people expect to be here, why don't we go ahead and talk about the films these finalists made it past to get here. So in round one, Hunt for Red October went up against Battleship, which... The seed worked perfectly for that. So we have our two modern military films going up against each other in round one. And there, there's a lot of interesting contrast there. Uh, there's a podcast I was listening to uh, talking about Clue that also delves into Battleship and how it feels like a fake movie that someone's des- describing on the fly the more you say about it. <laughs> there, there's definitely some truth to that. Then in round two, Red October went up against Titanic. Which, again, strong contender. I think it mostly came down to that we felt that the two halves of the film did not necessarily form a cohesive whole. Mm -hmm. And that, honestly, we enjoyed more of Rose's story than the sinking story. Yeah. I think there probably is a truncated version of Titanic that would beat out Red October. But, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, last round, the Hunt for Red October beat out the Poseidon Adventure. Which is a classic, and I definitely understand why that is, but you and I definitely had some qualms with it. Mm -hmm. I think Titanic and Poseidon Adventure are both movies that maybe like one more pass of the editing might have just really like made them just run perfectly, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah, I I think Poseidon Adventure probably needed another run at the script as well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good, interesting stuff going on, and it is a very good example of the sort of disaster film that was coming out during the time period. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas Life of Pi, in round one, went up against In the Heart of the Sea, which you were very excited to talk about on the podcast. And I've realized that now that I've watched it a few times, kind of in quick succession, I'm not that hot on it. Like, it's fine, but I think that, like, my memory of it had become stronger than it actually was. Then mm-hmm. everyone all I watched was, was like, wow, this movie's really good. And I'm like, what, what's happening here? Why, why are you wrong about this thing that I said was good? <laughs> I can definitely understand why you would like it, but there's some huge tonal whiplash, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the main problems. I think it needed to either like just be a little bit more cohesive or be musical. Like <laughs> you, need, you need to either go softer or harder. It is currently at just a sort of spongy putty level, and needs to, be, it's to pick between the two. I'm sure I, I've talked about it on the podcast before about my disdain for musicals. Oh yeah. But God, that brings that into a whole new light. Like, yeah, you could get away with something being completely disjointed by just tossing in musical numbers. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's the benefit of a musical is that you can have a very sudden tone shift that is people will readily accept because music is a really good way to trigger uh, emotional change states. Yeah. And, and that's, that's also probably one of the, one of the reasons why I just like them so much. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're very stubborn. <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> Round two, Life of Pi went up against Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, which we also had problems with, mostly because it quite feel like a complete film. 
Pirates 2 and Pirates 3 are... To understand one, you need to watch both. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating how blatant that is with that franchise. Yeah. And also, Pirates, as a franchise, just has a lot of, like, troubles in it. It started very strong, but like, it kind of just kept going. And the, the further it got into choppy waters, the more it clearly couldn't hold water. Yeah. I mean, no one talks about 4 or 5. No. We are getting a reboot and a spinoff, and I'm not exactly sure on where that all falls canon-wise. <laughs> but it should be interesting what those bring. Honestly, Pirates of the Caribbean is at its best as a setting more than a storyline. I think that the more they deviate from canon and the less they deviate from setting, the better they'll be. And then finally, just last episode, Life of Pi went up against Jaws, Mm -hmm. which it's surprising the parallels we were able to draw between those two films, Mm -hmm. like both involving large predators at sea. Mm -hmm. And honestly, going into that episode, I did not expect Life of Pi to come out the winner, but... That's one of the things I love about our recordings is, yeah, I get to change my mind halfway through the episode. <laughs> if only our musical number, then you wouldn't. Honestly, apart from Titanic, Red October had it pretty like smooth sailing, whereas Life of Pi had to fight its way to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Heart of the Sea, uh, Parts of the Caribbean, and Jaws are all things that I love. Yes. Uh-huh. And I love two of those things, and I... I honestly had some good things to say about uh, In the Heart of the Sea that you, like, vehemently disliked. <laughs> um, my, my weird interaction with this thing just keeps keeps going. I'm going to start a side podcast where we just talk about In the Heart of the Sea, watching it once every episode. Good luck with that. <laughs> in the spleen of the sea, in the legs of the sea, in the gallbladder of the sea. Sidebar, um, I don't think we mentioned it, but we... Casually challenged the Equalizers to do an episode on In the Heart of the Sea, which they did. It exists now. You, you can listen to it. It involves time travel. Yes, it is a mashup with uh, Assassin's 33 AD, I believe. Yes. You, you may want to watch that film before going into... Or, or not. It's up to you. You can make an informed decision yourselves. Speaking of informed decisions, let's talk about these two movies in contrast before we decide which is the strongest. So yeah, I think... When we were first conceptualizing this bracket, we had a few things that we wanted the films to engage with. We wanted it to engage with the idea of the bottle episode. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term... And haven't listened to us. (laughs) You dropped in for the finale for some reason. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure there are people who only listen to the finales. Someone googled uh, Humphrey October Life of Pi (laughs) podcast and clicked the first link they saw. Anyway, the idea of a bottle episode is it typically it's an episode of television, but you can do films this way too, where your set and cast is very limited. Originally, it started off as an, a way to conserve budget and make a episode of television incredibly quickly. Mm-hmm. The term was coined by Leslie Steele Stevens, the creator of The Outer Limits, and he referred to it as uh, pulling an episode right out of the bottle like a genie. Typically, you have a small cast of characters in a confined space, and there's a lot of focus on character interactions and interpersonal drama. And I think that's one thing that we definitely wanted to hit on, because when you're on a boat, there's usually not an easy way to get off said boat. Right. And in fact, staying on said boat is very important. Although thinking about it, this bracket kind of falls in two categories. You have like the bottle episode psychedelic movies like uh, Adrift, Life of Pi, Ghost Ship. And then you have the like more like war movies and journey movies like mm-hmm. Master and Commander, Hunt for October, Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like there's like this, this spectrum of 
whether the boat is about isolation or exploration. Mm Mm-hmm. Which isn't a bad thing. Like, I'm okay with the fact that we have to redefine what a boat movie is now that we've seen more of them in concert, but... Yeah. I like having our preconceived notions challenged when we're, we're designing a bracket. I think more and more as we are doing a little bit more curation of what ends up on the bracket, that is happening more and more, and I'm very happy with that. I think a really good example is how last year's monster bracket turned out Mm -hmm. going with okay let's figure out eight classic movie monsters and then find the top grossing ones of those it means that we're going to be talking about things in a more dynamic way than who make more money which Mm. is we've always done that to a certain extent but i think have evolved a better eye for what deserves to be on a bracket than we did when we started the disney or the comics brackets when we started to practice saying, you know, we should definitely compare and contrast Annie and Cowboys and Aliens, which we absolutely should have. That was great. Yeah. Fantastic episode. Still one of my favorites. I love double features. Yeah, I think that of the two, if Bottle Episode is a qualifier, that definitely puts Life of Pi ahead because it is very much in this one boat that who knows where it's going. Yeah. At least for the second to third parts of the film. Mm-hmm. The first part, all of Pi's backstory, as well as the frame story, not quite as well. Even with the frame story, we get like two or three sets, and it's just those two characters interacting until Pi's family comes home, and it's there's not really a whole lot of interactions with them. They're kind of like set dressing. Yeah. Whereas, I do think that parts of Hunt for Red October feel that way, like especially with how small and cramped some of the sets feel. We're in a lot of interior spaces, and there's a lot of using light to differentiate the spaces because they look so similar, and I wouldn't be surprised if all of the submarine shots were on a single set as opposed to two. And they just have like a few different console things they would like rapidly take out and off. Yeah. You're right, but also I think the thing with a bottle episode is that it should be a relatively self-contained story, and with Humphrey October, we have this very, like, broad story that's dealing with like the affairs of nations we're bouncing back and forth between different people in different spaces yeah i, I completely agree that in traditional terms it it does not quite fit the the bottle episode i think you can definitely tell this as a bottle episode if you just have like people saying like hey we got word from uh moscow or from whatever mm-hmm. blah, blah, that this thing is happening but that'd be harder to keep track of because it's not always easy for an audience to track political things that they aren't seeing happen. So it's probably mm-hmm. better that they were doing the bouncy back and forth. Yeah. I, I definitely think you could do a low-budget sort of art house version of Unfurred October that just takes place on the bridge of the sub. I think, honestly, you could do it on stage if the main part of the stage is the Red October, and then when you close the curtains, it's somewhere else. And you bring in, like, some chairs or, like, a simple helicopter set. It'd be pretty simple, and you could minimize a lot of the work of other places just by having that those interactions happen over there. Mm-hmm. You might have to lose um, the stuff with Jonesy and that boat, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, the Dallas. Yeah, the Dallas. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think of the two finalists, Life of Pi definitely fits that bottle episode philosophy quite a bit more, although it's by no means produced on the cheap. <laughs> Gosh, no. No, no, no. Although the idea of doing an incredibly expensive bottle episode sounds kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So, next big question that we should tackle. How well does the film use its time at sea? That then raises a sub-question of what does it mean to use your time at sea well? Like, what's what's your what's your qualifier here? Are you talking about, like, the amount of, like, shots that have the ocean in them? So I have a few sub-questions. Like, could the plot have been done on land easily? I don't think for either it quite works. No. I think that 
you could rewrite Life of Pi to happen in a remote setting that isn't the ocean. It is theoretically feasible. You have to redo a lot of moments, but the overall idea of like a catastrophe stranding a, a child and a tiger in a space mm-hmm. that they have to navigate, you could do that. You have to get around like, how is Pi hiding or whatever? I don't know, like, Pi went, like, went over a cliff into the wilderness and there was, like, this, like, wild animal that was also hurt and they had to kind of navigate that space. And then Pi made friends with that animal and brought it home. And that's how you tame dogs. Anyway, Alpha from 2019, not a very good movie. I think you could maybe do it, like, in a desert. Mm-hmm. Stranded on an island also works. Yeah. Cats, but there's a monster there. <laughs> uh, Sweetheart from 2020, very good movie. Whereas Red October absolutely could not unless you put it in space, and it has to be like the Star Trek thing where space is just an ocean, and that ocean is full of submarines, and then it's just submarines in space. Yeah. You could easily take on for Red October and make it a Star Trek film or episode. Mm-hmm. But I think it does have to be in that kind of ocean setting, even yeah. that is like space ocean. Because so much of it relies on the complexity of the Caterpillar drive and also the cleverness of the sonar operators mm-hmm. and all that jazz. Yeah, really just lack of concrete information is what really drives the plot in Hunt for Red October. And it's a lot more difficult to do that on land because everything is roughly on the same two-dimensional plane. Mm -hmm. Like, visibility is fairly high. (laughs) You could theoretically do it with, like, different military camps or squadrons or whatever moving around in an environment with maybe a lot of, like, hills or whatever, but... It would change it a lot, and it would reduce the Caterpillar Drive concept from there. Mm-hmm. You'd have to like introduce some sort of like other thing, some sort of new technology or magical mm-hmm. component or whatever that would just be a different movie at that point. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, please, definitely, if you have some way to do a high school AU of Friend October, please send that to me. <laughs> Next sub-question for this. Does the sea feel like a character? Definitely in Life of Pi. We talked about that last time. Yes. Less so in Friend October. Yeah. It's there. And there are some cool parts, like the some of the names they've given to like the trenches, like mm-hmm. Thor's twins, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It makes the sea feel like a place, but it's more the geography of the sea floor than the sea itself. And the sea isn't really doing much. It's wet. Yeah. Murky. But they make the sea an interesting setting. They give it some defined characteristics as opposed to just this huge swath of water. But it doesn't feel like a character or an actor within any of the scenes right whereas that is distinctly not the case in life of pi where the the ocean feels like a character like an actor the ocean in hunford october is very static which is fine i don't know if the ocean needed to be a component of that i think there's already enough else happening oh, yeah. i don't need like i don't need the, this new character who's omnipresent in there mm-hmm. but for october but like you have this implication of poseidon being around would be fun but <laughs> Bring up Poseidon, it, it definitely feels like in Life of Pi, the ocean is this avatar for God. Oh, yeah. And the ocean is like testing Pi and putting him through this experience for a reason. The bit where he's, you know, shouting like, I've lost my family! I've lost everything! I surrender! What more do you want? Stands out there. It reminds me a lot of the... TV miniseries version of the Odyssey that has as its climax Odysseus learning that man is nothing without the gods. A weird moral to come out in the 90s, but whatever. Watched that twice in high school. Don't know what we're supposed to get out of that beyond the Odyssey was a thing that existed. 
not a bad movie per se. But yeah, I think just as much as the the sea being a being a character, I think the boat needs to be a character to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I think both of these movies have that going on. Yeah, we talked about how the Simpson is gone pretty fast, and the actual boat that Pi is on doesn't really have a name. Yeah, but that boat still has a character to it, and Pi's little like expanding life raft as it gets more and more capable of surviving on the ocean is a fun thing to, to watch happen. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I mean, the the Red October is beautiful and complex, and even the other uh, subs have, like, character to them. Next question. Does the film feel summery? When we were initially conceptualizing this bracket, we wanted the films to evoke summer, because this was leading from May into June, and I really wanted to, like, lean into that. And unfortunately, it became more of the films acting as a stand-in for being able to go outside. (laughs) A while back, we had an episode that I called The Cruel Summer Showdown. I did not realize what was coming this summer. (laughs) I think that I would put Life of Pi as more summery the way that summer is supposed to feel. There's more color, more vibrancy, more heat. Like, there's definitely, like, the the ravages of heat on Pi's body. Mm -hmm. Whereas, honestly, Red October feels very cold. They're in these, like, the the cold parts of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of metal, a lot of people in sweaters. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of... There's no beach vibe there. And it, it doesn't even have that whole, like, summer blockbuster spectacle thing going on. It's a it's a very restrained film in that regard. It reminds me a lot of Bridge of Spies, and then it's kind of cold and tense and about subtle political movements, mm-hmm. while still being, like, a an exciting epic narrative, mm-hmm. which is also kind of a wintry movie. I think, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, like, watching Huffer in October in the summer, but it's definitely yeah. more of a, like, summer at night kind of thing. Even the color palette of the film is very cool. There's lots of blues. There's not very many warm colors. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, the, the warmest colors we get is when Jack Ryan is going after the saboteur in the Red October. And even those reds are this not like a bright sunny red. It's more like a blood red. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll give, so we'll give that one Life of Pi for sure. Yeah. I also definitely think that Life of Pi scratches the cabin fever itch that I've had with, with the pandemic. Life of Pi has this sort of reverence for the majesty of the natural world mm-hmm. that I respect and I, I appreciate because had there not been a pandemic, I'd be outside quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. And you're having a very different experience of the pandemic than I am. Like Without getting too much into our personal lives, I have a job that I'm just going to every day. We have not shut down at any point. We, in fact, shut up at one point to uh, accommodate the needs of the job. So I've had less of the movie as escape into the real world thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, my summer has been much more Red October-ish. And then there's a lot of very tense choices, maybe people with a lot of very complicated needs for the good of the world. Well, And you're still outgoing places, but you're trapped within these bases yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a thesis for that. No, that's fair. I definitely appreciate that perspective. Both of these films, in very roundabout ways, engage with the moment that we are in. I wonder how much that's shaped this bracket. Like, if we'd gone on a vacation that wound up having a very stressful conclusion for whatever reason, if something went wrong, would we be more to Jaws, for instance? Mm-hmm. If we like gone on a cruise and had a romantic fling or something, would Titanic have spoken to us more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I can't say. I mean, like, we always bring bias and baggage into this. I don't necessarily have a good conception of the baggage that the pandemic has given me quite yet, but I would not be surprised if it has heavily influenced what we pushed forward on the bracket. 
Has the pandemic made you believe in God more or less? <laughs> oh, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> I mean, as far as the moment affecting the bracket, I mean, I think we can definitely say that for Captain Phillips, that was a huge reason why that didn't move forward. Oh, absolutely. Like, even though I, I engaged with that film in some interesting ways and really enjoyed much of the like first act the conclusion to the climax just is still nauseating. Mm. We also had a lot of movies on this bracket about leaders handling strife and disaster poorly, which mm. looks out window. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think it's also definitely affected a lot of things too. Mm-hmm. Although Jaws definitely would have at least gotten as far as it did on its own. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> Without that extra boost of validation, I guess. Yeah. What would be the circumstances by which Hotel Transylvania would be here right now? Um, I don't know. Part of me wanted to move that forward as opposed to the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. That was that was a tough call because like it, it came down to the Poseidon Adventure I had more of a response to, whereas Hotel Transylvania 3 was like, it's fine, but it's not interesting in very many ways. And that's the thing I appreciate about Life of Pi... That is not as much of a factor for Hunt for Red October as Life of Pi is a little more experimental. Mm-hmm. We keep not talking about it, but there are several shots where the letterbox of the film changes. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Like, there's one with a flying fish jumping. The letterbox shrinks down, but there's flying fish that are jumping through the letterbox. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was specifically intended to accentuate the 3D movie aspect mm-hmm. of it. Or whether that was a less business-minded choice and more of an artistic one. Hmm. Actually, I can think of a few scenes that would be very much like, in 3D! Like when Pi is shaking the stick at Richard Parker. Hmm. When the whale jumps over him. When the whale jumps over him, for sure. Yeah. Okay, I can see the, like, in 3D parts of his movie that are at least more subtle than, like, I don't know, Spy Kids 3 or whatever. <laughs> you mean Spy Kids 3D? 3D! <laughs> The third thing in your trilogy either has to go into 3D or into time travel. I mean, Jaws was also 3D. <laughs> right, I forgot about that. Yeah, Jaws 3D, it was a huge, like, thing. It was, like, stereoscopic, like, red-blue glasses sort of thing. It's uh, also one of the reasons why they uh, make fun of it in Back to the Future Part 2. Mm-hmm. While we're at a break moment, just I've been trying to figure out why I recognize the Russian ambassador from Humphrey October. He's King Arthur from uh, A Kid in King Arthur's Court, a, ki- a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. I don't have anything for that. I just, you know, now you know. Yeah. The Hunt for Red October has so many actors in it with very storied careers. Mm-hmm. I-, I think that's one of the reasons that tracks from it being a bottle episode is just how huge the cast is. Yeah. Whereas uh, Sarah Sharma from Life of Pi isn't like a big name actor for some reason i don't know why he's incredibly talented he was like busy doing homeland and then god friended me and stuff and like please please cast him as a romantic lead the other time i've seen him in something is in happy death to you and he is unrecognizable because that kid has range cast him in something please hollywood i do think it's interesting they have like three or four actors portraying pie throughout that film (laughs) and all of them are doing a Pretty impressive job. Honestly, I really prefer it when they just cast a few different actors for a character instead of having have like different wigs or makeup to show how old they are. It doesn't work as well as people think it does. Mm-hmm. I can deal with you you're telling me this person is the same person. Yeah. Back to the topic at hand. How iconic are the boats? 
It's weird. I mean, we've decided that the Simpsom is the the boat from Life of Pi, even though it's gone by the end of the first. I act. mean, the the Simpsom is the boat for Life of Pi specifically because it has a name. Mm-hmm. But the life raft is very iconic. I mean, the visual of boy and tiger and boat is all over the posters. Yes, yeah. it should be. The lifeboat is very nondescript, and it's mostly there to not get in the way. And it's kind of this like blank canvas. The sea and the sky are way more dynamic and interesting than the boat is, and I honestly, I appreciate that about the film. Mm-hmm. The The life raft is very iconic, but I wouldn't necessarily say that the lifeboat is. It doesn't have a name, it's very plain and nondescript. Mm-hmm. It's a good set, but beyond that, it doesn't have a lot going on. Whereas the Red October, I mean, just the name... <laughs> Also, the movie does a great job, like, building up the myth of the Red October. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much that transfers into popular culture, because this isn't really my kind of thing, and I don't know if, like, people who are more into this kind of movie talk about it more than uh, I know about. Yeah. But within the film itself, the Red October and its captain are both non-mythic in that they're unique and storied and have this really, like, cool technology that doesn't exist anywhere else, mm-hmm. and... Everybody wants this boat. It's really cool how much they do to make it, like, narratively exciting, even when looking at it, it's just, like, a hot dog with a stick on it. (laughs) Like most submarines. To a certain extent, the entire plot revolves around who is going to have control over the Red October. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be the Soviet Union? Is it going to be America? Is it going to be neither? And it's going to be sitting at the bottom of the ocean? Mm -hmm. And for that matter, who should have control over it? Yeah. The Red October is a good synecdoche for advances in military power in general mm-hmm. and the ethics that relate to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the movie like does a great job exploring all that, but that is definitely in there. An okay job. I mean, I, I think it could very easily be read as an allegory for nuclear proliferation during the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that that was its specific intention by Tom Clancy in the original novel. Mm-hmm. That's all of the overarching bracket questions that, that I had and wanted to bring up. Do you have anything? Not really. I think we really dug into everything else at this point. I mean, I have a few, like, minor notes for the rest of the film, but they're small things like, those meerkats are cute. <laughs> In the Red October, obviously. I'm good at film, TM. Uh, honestly, the, the meerkats are just so weird to me. <laughs> they are, but they, like, give them things to do. Like, there's one holding a fish. There's one that's, like... Like, almost falls off when another meerkat skippers over him. It's just kind of... They put personality into the meerkats. The thing is, though, like, they put meerkats on this island where, like, meerkats are known for having these expansive burrows, and they're all arboreal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. I didn't intend for this to be a whole thing. Yeah, but I'm going to make it a whole thing. It's, are, we, are we approaching Pedden's Corner? <laughs> I don't necessarily want to say Pedden's Corner, but... Pedden's Safari. Part of me... Looking at that now, and like we had that conversation about 3D earlier, it feels like the decision to make the meerkats was maybe in part due to the popularity of Meerkat Manor at the time. <laughs> what? Have you not heard of Meerkat Manor? I think I've heard those words, but <laughs> I assumed it was just words. Like, there's like a, the word for the borough or whatever. They're called manners or something. No, Meerkat Manor was a nature documentary about this family of meerkats, but it was structured in a way almost akin to a reality television show where they like very much personified all of the, the meerkats and like narrated interpersonal drama. It was a huge hit. Huh. I 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Meerkat Manor. It's a British television program uh, produced by Oxford Scientific Films for Animal Planet International, and it ran from 05 to 08. Huh. So I could see that being a choice made during the creation of the film, even if it would be dated, but then also I don't know if it's like in the book or not. Yeah. Maybe the writer of the book saw Meerkat Manor. Who knows? Well, I mean, the book was published in 2001. Before oh, well, probably this. not then. And honestly, they had been attempting to make the film since about 2002. So it took 10 years to get it in the can. I can't believe that Meerkat Manor is a spinoff of Life of Pi. <laughs> We're getting slap happy, which is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, you brought up the Meerkats and I, I had a point to make. <laughs> you wanted to just like follow that tunnel wherever it led? God damn it. <laughs> There's one last question we ask for all these movies. What wins the Ship of Theseus Award? <sighs> I mean, it has to be the Red October. Oh, yeah. Naturally. Like, we've talked about this before, but the Red October's won every single Ship of Theseus Award because it's still completely usable by the end of the film. It's honestly a little atypical in that regard. Yeah. It's remarkable how often boats don't make it through the boat movies. Yeah, I mean, like, that's... Usually, like, watching boats go down, apparently. It's an interesting conceit, a, a ship going down, like, okay, the ship is sinking, what do you do? It's not really a question in Hunt for October, and the only ship that really gets destroyed is the Soviet hunter sub. Mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård is just very angry about it. He's like got two scenes in the movie. <laughs> just imagine today using Stellan Skarsgård as little as they do in Hunt for October. Like that's how star-packed the cast is. Right? Honestly. Both these movies are great. I can see they're moving forward. So let's just... So I want to just tally up the points. So, bottle episode, Life of Pi. Could it have been undone on land? I mean, definitely that goes to Hunt for Red October, because it very much couldn't have. Oh, yeah. But the sea feeling like a character very much goes to Life of Pi. Oh, for sure. I was going to say. Life of Pi, much more summary. Yes. Red October, more iconic as a boat. Yes. The Red October wins the Ship of Theseus Award, which brings us to a tie. (laughs) I mean, of course it's going to bring us to a tie. This was a mistake. (laughs) More often than not, it leads us to a tie whenever you try and do like tally up points. I'm really trying to make some sort of simple objective methodology where we don't have to make choices. But no. Why did you agree to be on this podcast? I don't know. (laughs) You said it was a good idea. I mean, it has been. It's been fun. Yeah, it has been. It's been great. (laughs) But like, that's the thing about how we do things here. Like, nothing is simple and objective. Very few of our episodes, outside of, like, things in round one, are just massive blow-offs in favor of one film or the other. And most films we have at least something good to say about, even if it's very tiny. I think that looking at the two, boiling it down to what is more of a boat movie, I think Life of Pi is more of a boat movie because it is about a boy in a boat and a tiger. Whereas Red October is about things beyond just the boats. The boats are the vehicle, but not necessarily the focus, if that makes sense. Hunt for Red October is a political thriller. I do think that it uses the submarines as a vehicle, as you said, but it does so in a very complete way. The way the submarines get used makes a lot of sense, and they are so integrated into the plot that you really couldn't do it without them. Mm -hmm. There's an argument to be made that Hunt for Red October is more of a boat movie, but it really is coming down to semantics and a very subjective decision. Mm -hmm. We we have to give one of these the win, and I am leaning towards Life of Pi. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Whichever way the wind is blowing on a particular day, I could choose either movie. I think mm. they're both really good, really fun, really interesting. I'd watch them again easily. I think the big reason that I am choosing Life of Pi is that it's it's very unique. There's not a whole lot of stuff, that, at least that I've seen, that's like it. Mm-hmm. Certainly not at this kind of budget and scale. Yes. Where I think there are other things like Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are at least three or four other Jack Ryan films. Right. None of which star Alec Baldwin, though. Right, and therefore I don't care. I mean, Harrison Ford's in one. I still don't care. Okay. Who is this Harrison Ford? Why should I care about him? Has he done anything big? I don't think so. I can barely look at you right now. Just <laughs> full of disgust. I remember you playing a character named Dakota Jones at one point. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, I think Life of Pi just eking out ahead just a little bit for just a few tiny little things here and there. Mm-hmm. Neither should feel bad. Both put in a very strong showing. Yep. And I think either of these movies are great to be, like bring to a party, but probably different parties. Yeah. I do not partake, but I definitely think that Life of Pi would be very interested on mind-altering substances. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Red October is probably a really fun, like, you're hanging out with your bros kind of thing, and it's the end of the night, but you're not ready to go to bed yet kind of thing. I don't know. Like, Hunt for Red October requires a lot of paying attention to, and it, like it doesn't feel like a party movie. Hmm. Right, which is why less, like, party, more, like, shindig, hoot nanny. Like, no more than five people. When you're all out of hoot, it has to have some nanny left in you. Uh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, Life of Pi wins the brag. Good job. But we still have some more boat films coming your way. Mm-hmm. We have two, what we are calling lifeboat episodes. The first of which will be two comedies that certain people wanted to be on the bracket, but it's just, we didn't quite have room for them. And they are The Boat That Rocked. In the U.S., its title is Pirate Radio, as well as The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Neither of which I've seen, so... The Life Aquatic is a Wes Anderson film, which mm-hmm. I think was going to be our first time actually discussing a Wes Anderson film for the bracket. It makes sense. Wes Anderson's kind of hard to get onto a bracket. He makes weird movies. Yes. And we, we've definitely talked about Wes Anderson on the bracket before, though. Right. So that'll be interesting. And I love The Boat That Rocked. Uh, it has a late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. And the, and the other episode, we're a little undecided on. We know we want to do Mob Treasure Island, of course. Yes. What a delight. But we need another movie to go with it. And we're torn between Hook and Captain Blood. Most people are fr- probably familiar with Hook. But if you're not, it is a Robin Williams film from the 90s imagining Peter Pan as an adult. It kind of takes place on a boat. The climax at least does. Mm-hmm. Captain Hook is a prominent character, as you may have guessed, and he happens to have boat things in his life. Whereas Captain Blood is a black and white Aeroflyn swashbuckling film from the 30s. It felt like a interesting thing to bring in some, one of the like defining films of the genre to talk about and compare it to something like Muppet <laughs> Treasure Island, which is a pastiche of the entire genre mm-hmm. with Muppets. <laughs> if you have an opinion on what you'd like to hear us talk about, feel free to get a hold of us. We're on Facebook, Twitter. I guess you could email us. <laughs> and that's also where you'll find out about the rest of the episodes coming out, if you want to catch up with them. Yeah. Also, after those two episodes, we do have our Bride of Monster bracket coming. We are looking for women to guests on the podcast to talk about these things because it feels bad just the two of us talking who do not necessarily have a lived experience as women Mm -hmm. 
Shockingly little, in fact. <laughs> so if you want to be on, get a hold of us. We will be happy to work with you to figure out how to keep it like safe with all the quarantine and all that jazz. Yeah. Probably go ahead and like list off what to expect from that bracket. Oh, yeah. Are we giving the full list? Yeah. Heck yeah. So uh, for Bride of Monster Bracket, round one, episode one, we'll have Alien versus Colossal. God, I'm so excited for that one. Episode two, we'll have Stepford Wives, specifically the 2004 version with Nicole Kidman, versus Drag Me to Hell. Episode three, we'll have Us versus Jennifer's Body. That's going to be a weird double feature. <laughs> the total shift there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then episode four, we'll have Carrie versus Oculus. Two movies about redheads and predicaments. So if you have strong feelings about any of those films, feel free to reach out. And if not, what are you doing? You should have strong feelings about all those movies. Apart from maybe Oculus, I get it if it's not your thing. <laughs> Do you want to have strong feelings about Oculus? Yeah. Come with me. I'm not sure how many people are familiar with Drag Me to Hell. Mm-hmm. Or Colossal, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. It's fair if you don't necessarily have strong opinions on those. But we're going to. Yes. So you should join us. <laughs> and once again, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.